Welcome to Soul Rio, a church where God is made center, families made stronger, and lives restored. Today's sermon is entitled, You Asked, Who is Your Father? Presented by Pastor Matt Boatman on June 19th, 2016. For those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the missions and outreach pastor here at Soul Rio. Today's a special day. Like I said, it's Father's Day. Um, not to take away from the moms, but today is the day we get to celebrate fathers. Uh, fatherhood is important to me. When I started preparing for this message, I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be easy. Cakewalk, no problem. All kinds of material on fatherhood. I've been a father for, seems like forever. I know all about this. It's not going to be a problem. And But as the weeks went by, nothing was just coming to me at all. I kept drawing a blank. Every time I sat down, I started typing something, I'd be distracted. I would be text sent. Game messages on my phone would be sent in most inopportune times. Um, so I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to just wait for you. So last week I met with Floyd. It's the first time I'll mention you. Um, and we sat down. He shared some uh, some words with me. We talked. We just discussed things. I said, great, this is where I'm leading. This is where I think God's leading me. He gave me some verses. We talked about it. And I thought, okay, I got this. Sit down on Wednesday, nothing. Sit down on Thursday. Finally, a little bit starts coming to me. So I just said, go, okay, God, I, I can't do this. For some reason, I'm getting distracted. Where do you want me to go with this? And finally, on Friday morning, after I got off work, God just gave it all to me. So I started typing it out. So today I'm going to share a story I haven't shared with too many people. And it's about myself and my journey through fatherhood. Sorry. So, let me tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. And it starts about 17 years ago. It was when I first became a father. I was 17 years old. I thought I was an adult. I thought I knew everything. I had it all figured out. I can tell you now in full confidence I was completely wrong. I had no idea what I was doing. I was still a child. Well, like I said, at the age of 17, I was told I was going to be a father. The emotions and the feelings I went through were crazy. Being 17 years old, I was excited, probably a little bit, uh, scared, nervous, curious of what was uh, ahead of me. Probably felt stressed for the first time in my life. Real stress. Uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. This was all new. I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I knew I made a mistake. I was having a child when I was 17 years old out of wedlock. I knew that wasn't the right thing. But I knew I had to do something. 
I was told, you need to marry this girl. That's the right thing to do. Though I didn't know. I was still a child. I was asked by others, how are you going to afford a kid when you, up to this point in your life, have never even paid for anything for yourself? Do you realize how much of a responsibility this is? And I didn't have answers. I thought I did. I gave answers. I gave, I I think, were typical responses. Oh, I can do this. It's time for me to grow up. I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. One thing my father always taught me to do. So, talk about stressful. I joined the Marines. I uh, was planning on going to the military. It's something I always wanted to do in my life. So I went and talked to an Army recruiter. And I was dead set on it. I talked to my mother. She said, do me a favor and just talk to another recruiter. So I said, well, you know, I'll go talk to this Marine guy. I don't know anything about him. I'm from Colorado. They're not there. I lived up in, I grew up in an army town. Family was in the Air Force. So I talked to a Marine recruiter, and he was a great salesman. So I said, you know what? Forget the army. Marines are where it's at. It's the real military. Inside joke with my wife. She was in the army. (laughs) So I joined the Marines. I planned on going to boot camp after high school. This was before my, right before my senior year. And I said, okay, well, great. This is a source of income. I can provide for my family with this. And I want to be in the military. So about halfway through my senior year, things had changed. There was a curveball sent in my way. And bigger than the curveball of being a father. Not as big, I meant. Not as big as the curveball being a father, but I dropped out of high school. January of 1999, I decided circumstances worked out great. I only wanted to finish high school so I can go into the military. And the opportunity arose for me to go into the military halfway through my senior year. So I said, okay, well, I'm going to have a baby in March. I need a job. Let's do this. So I went to school. My recruiter called me up the night before. I went to school. The next day, I dropped out and went to boot camp that night. I had no idea what I got myself into. It was a total shock to my whole core. I mean, went from 17-year-old, funny, good-looking punk, as most people would probably say, to having a drill instructor in my face yelling at me. And some other crazy stuff that is just crazy. So I went to boot camp, January, end of January. Started going through boot camp. I remember getting off the bus. And I thought to myself, what the heck did I do? These guys are insane. I got hit. I got spit in my face. I got you name it. It was no joke. I thought I had it figured out. So here I am going through boot camp. About halfway through, 
March, I get a call. Or I, I, get, uh, I get sent for by the commanding officer. In boot camp, the recruits, the people wanting to become Marines, because it's earned, it's an earned title, it's not given to you, like soldier. And... <laughs> I get called to the commanding officer. You don't ever get called to the commanding officer. So I go in there, report to him. He goes, you need to call home. So I said, okay, sir. Yes, sir. I didn't say, okay, sir. You can't even talk in the first person in Marine Corps boot camp. You have to talk in the third person. So you can't say I or me. You have to say this recruit. And So I said, you know, yes, sir. This recruit will go call his parents like a robot. So I went home. I called. My mom answers the phone. She goes, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, I don't know. She goes, well, I'm going to tell you congratulations. Just a few days ago, your daughter was born. My face, I got a smile. I was happy. And then she goes, Oh, and without your permission, she was put up for adoption. So everything I was preparing for, everything that I wanted to be a father, was just taken away from me. Here I am, 17 years old in boot camp, had a kid, and she was given away. Everything I was preparing for, that I thought God had I knew God had a plan in it. I did not know what to do. I started crying on the phone. And I talked to my my mom said, well, what do you want to do? We can fight this legally. So I said, yes, this is my daughter. I'm, I'm going to raise her. So my world was turned upside down. A few days, about a few, about a week later, I got another call to call back, or I got another order to call back, and I found out that my girlfriend had changed her mind. I had a lawyer. We were gonna do what we needed to do to stop this proceeding. And she had changed her mind. I don't blame her for what she did. She was young also. She had a lot of pressure from family members to do what she did. So, she got her back. Fast forward to May. May 14th, well, May 13th, 1999, I see my family. I'm graduating boot camp. And for the first time, I see my daughter. They put her in my arms. I look at her. I wish I could say I was happy. I was. I wish I could say I was excited. I was. But I looked at her and said, to myself, in my mind, I didn't want to scare other people. 
please don't cry. I don't know what to do if you do. And I was, you know, just went through boot camp. I was kind of a robot. Being going, going through that for months of not being able to talk in the first person to being able to all of a sudden have a, be human again. And then I was holding my daughter. I was 18 at this time, so I turned 18, so I was older. I was a legal adult now. But I didn't know what I was doing. But I will tell you, being a father is awesome. To me, it's the greatest gift God's given me and the greatest responsibility that I've had thus far in my life. Well, being, well, beyond being blessed by Kayla right here, the one that prayed this morning with no shoes on. <laughs> I'm always glad to be your father, and it's a privilege and honor for it. I also have two boys, tall right-headed guy, and a smaller one. Uh, I had, well, I had two more boys. And as I, I continue on through life trying to teach them to be godly man, godly men, plural, I find it more difficult than you'll ever imagine, especially in today's world, today's age that we're living in. There's so many things fighting against fathers to do the right thing, to lead your kids in a godly manner, that I think it's the most difficult thing a parent has to deal with. But the, the boys and, the, and Kayla might understand, but maybe one day when they're a parent, they'll understand. I get as much from them as they do from me. God put them in my life to shape me and mold me into the man that I am. Without them, I wouldn't have had to grow up. I would have been a punk still. Still, I'm a little. But... I get as much from them. I've gotten as much from them as they've gotten from me. Now, unfortunately, my marriage to their mother didn't work. Sin is in the world. We didn't get married for the right reasons. And it didn't work out. Now, I was a single father for three years after we got divorced. Being a single parent is difficult. Being a parent's difficult. Being a single parent's even more difficult. You're both a mother and a father at times. You're both the disciplinary, you're both, and the lover. You're the one that comforts the kids. You're the one that has to tell them no. And it's hard. So after three, which I thought were very long years, I think I lost most of my hair then, we'll be honest. I met Brenda. She fell in love with me instantly. No. I guess that joke's probably getting old. I say that every time. Um, we fell in love. We got married. And I brought a whole new side of being a father for me. I was now a stepfather. I was father to someone who wasn't biologically mine. And that aspect of being a father is different from being a father to somebody that is part of you. 
you don't automatically love love them. It doesn't come as natural because they weren't there from the beginning with you. They're new. They don't like you sometimes. Fortunately, my stepdaughter is amazing, and she's one of the most loving people I've ever met, so it's easy. But there's still difficult times. But I don't treat her any different than I do my other kids. She is one of my kids, whether it's biological or not. Sometimes we're parents, we're fathers to kids that are biologically ours. Sometimes we're parents or fathers. I keep wanting to say parents. Fathers to nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters. It's whatever God has planned. And if you're put into that role of being a father, God has a plan for you. There's a purpose for you being in that person's life and leading them. So, being a father is not only a challenge, but it's a choice. Being a father just isn't having a baby. It's deciding to stick around and raise that child. And to be a role model and work through the difficult times. It's not leaving when it gets hard and saying that, oh, they're better off without me. That's not true. Or it's better than being an absentee father, as I call it. That you're there, but you're not. You have your priorities out of order. You put work first. You tell your kids, oh, I got stuff to do. Don't bug me when I come home from work. I'm stressed out. I'll get to you when I have a chance. I have more important things to do. Fathers should put their kids first. That's your number one job. That's why God gave you these children. So with that being said, a father is a blessing. Being a father is a blessing. It's a duty, it's a job, it's one of the most important things bestowed upon you. So today we're going to go through some good and bad examples of fatherhood from the Bible. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the fathers here today. Thank you for everything you provided for us. Thank you for allowing us to be here with you, worship you praise you, give blessings to you, thanking you for everything you've done. Father, I pray that your words just speak through me today. Let your will be done here. Father, I pray that whatever is said, for whomever it's said, that it's heard. We pray these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. There we go. Okay, so what defines a father? Well, Webster's defines a father as a man who has begotten a child. So basically, a man who has helped procreate a child. Simple definitions. 
by society standards, I believe. Doesn't mention anything to do with a child after helping procreate. Pretty sad definition if you ask me. Procreate is just the first ingredient for a father. I want to share with you some statistics about fatherless homes in the United States. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. 43% do not have their father living with them. Blows my mind. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes, five times the national average. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32%, 32 times the national average. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. And 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the national average. Now, this is, it's not a blanket because I dropped out and I had a father. So, Now, aren't these statistics troubling? We live in a nation where fathers are more and more being less involved or not involved at all. God never intended for a man to just procreate and then leave his kids. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. The Bible is very clear on what a father should be doing. We'll open up to Proverbs 22.6, or it's in your notes or on the board. It says, direct your children into the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Now, it's not saying that they'll go away. They're not, they won't go away. It just says that they will not leave it. Everyone has a path. Sometimes we all stray from the path. We're all sinners. God has a plan for each and every one of you. Sometimes we stray from it, and then we get back on course. But that foundation is in them. That is a father's, well, a parent's job to lay that foundation into the right path for them. Now, if you're not around, you're not capable of doing that. Or if you're around and you're not really even talking to your kids because of whatever reason, you're not capable of doing that. Next, we're going to open up in Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger. I am guilty of that from time to time. I try not to, but I do it. Are you doing that? Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Discipline and instruction. Telling them yes, telling them no. Giving them instruction on how to live a godly life. How to focus on their heavenly father. To follow his word. To lead a godly life. 
Christian father really is a tool in God's hands. So like it said in Ephesians, it says to bring them up in discipline and instruction. And this discipline and instruction should come from God's word. Not something you decided to make up or something that was passed down to you. Family tradition. Now I'm not saying family traditions are wrong. But as a Christian man, it should come from God. It should be God's word. So you're instructed to bring them up and train them with instruction from the Lord. This doesn't mean to be harsh and mean. Remember, as a Christian, we try to be Christ-like. Don't forget you're, living, you're in a living example whether you like it or not. You're a living example to your children whether you like it or not. Your children will look to you when you don't think they're looking at you and pick the bad things away from what you do. They won't, most of the time, they won't tell you the good things that you've done. Sometimes they do. But most of the times, they tend to focus on the bad things. And I think humans tend to do that. So you're a living example for your children. That, that goes with the way you treat your wife. Kids are going to look at you and see the way you talk to your wife and think, that's how I should treat a wife. The way you treat a stranger. If you see a homeless man on the side of the street begging for food and you just scoff it off, how can you expect your children to actually grow up and do that, to give to somebody that's in need, if you did not give that example to them? Now, they have their own uh, will, and they're going to make their own decisions. But it says that you are to instruct them and, and bring them up. Back in Proverbs, direct your child in the right path, and they will, when they are older, they will not leave it. How's that directing your child to look at somebody that is in need? How's that not Christ-like to give them food? What are you teaching your children? So your kids will see everything that you do. A lot of times they'll emulate it, and unfortunately they'll emulate the bad things that you do. So if you want to know how a parent really acts, ask their children. They'll tell you the truth when they're home. You come to church and you smile and you're happy and you're nice to everyone. Ask a child and they'll tell you how the true heart of a parent most of the time because that's when we're most comfortable. We're around the ones we love. That's the times that we say the most harsh things when it should be the exact opposite. Remember this. God has a plan for your child. Ultimately, that's God's child, not yours. And God entrusted you with this child. A child that he loves more than you could ever imagine. I know that's hard to either understand or fathom that someone could love your child more than you do. But God loves, loves your kid, your child, more than you could ever even come close. And he entrusted you with this child. 
He said, I have a plan. I gave you this kid. Now raise them to be a godly man or woman. Are you going to do right in God's eyes? All right, so here's a few examples of biblical father fails. First one we're going to talk about is Eli. He was a very permissive father, but he was there. He wasn't absent absentee. Eli did not rebuke his son's poor 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 behavior. He was too passive. Samuel, he took it. His sons took bribes and perverted justice. First Samuel eight one through six. You can read more about that there. All right, uh, David. David was a big time failure as a father. He was absentee. Wasn't permissive. What's crazy about Sam, or David, if you look in Second Samuel seven twelve through fourteen, <laughs> I was going to say two. Did it work? Twelve through fourteen. David is actually likened as unto God, and Solomon was likened as unto Jesus. Our ultimate example on how to be a father, father-son relationship. Jesus uses father more to describe God than he did any other word in the Bible in his time. So David is likened unto God, and Solomon was likened as unto Jesus. So this was supposed to be the example for them. This was God and Jesus. This was a role on, an example on earth. Well, let me tell you about a couple of David's sons. Firstborn son. Amnon raped his half-sister. Like I said, David was absentee. He didn't want to rebuke his children. He He just let them do. And he had more important things to do. Second born, Absalom, usurped David's throne and slept with his wives. He actually took the throne from David that God had planned. I don't know if they were his moms, but he slept with David's wives. David had multiple wives. It was more common back then. Crazy, I know. Uh, fourth born. Andon and Ja. I knew I should have went over this with you. I can't say the name right. A D O N I G A H. Adonijah. My wife even warned me of that. He uh, usurped his brother Solomon's throne against the will of God. Revealed through David. So we got two people taking over the throne that weren't intended for it. And then his seventh born son, Solomon, violated every law God made for a king and worshiped idols. The same Solomon that was likened to Jesus. Next we have Manasseh. He sacrificed his children to demons. That's in Second Kings 21 and Psalm 106. He actually sacrificed his kids to demons. If that's not a fail as a father, I don't know what can even come more close to that. Ahaz, 
worshipped idols, and sacrificed his children to demons also. Now, let's move on to some good examples of biblical fathers. These are wins, not fails. Isaac. In Genesis chapter 17 through 49, Isaac was the father of twin boys named Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. I messed that up, didn't I? No? Okay, good. Isaac learned much from his parents about trusting God and raising a family. Isaac's sons were very different from one another. One was a hunter, and the other enjoyed being at home. Through Isaac, Though Isaac was not perfect... Not a perfect father, he instilled the knowledge of God and promise of a savior. If you look at the Old Testament times, they were looking forward to the cross. And I've I've thought about this numerous times in my life. Which would be more difficult? Looking forward to a cross or looking back to something that's already happened? And I, I always lean towards it'd be harder to look forward to it. At least we have the proof that Jesus did return, or came and returned. So I I give it a lot of credit to these fathers in the Old Testament. I, I think that had to be difficult to tell your kids, our Savior is coming, our Savior is coming. And we do look forward to that because Jesus will return one day to earth and rule. But he's already came and promised us these things. Abraham, Genesis chapters 11 through 25, we learn about Abraham. Abraham was known as a man of faith. He almost sacrificed his son because of his faith. He was going to take his son and kill him because that's what God told him to do. that's, That's a man of faith. And by this, uh, Abraham showed great faith to his children. He taught them. And he led by example. I think that's one of the biggest things a father can do is lead by example. Like I said, they'll emulate what you do. Moving on to Job. Job was a a wealthy man. He owned land, cattle, crops. Besides the great riches of Job, he had many children. Seven sons and three daughters. Ten children. Job was involved with with his children socially, and he prayed for them. Spiritually. Job is a job. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All right. Job, as a father, he actually had to grieve greatly. Job was tested. God allowed him to be tested, and all his kids were killed. Ten kids, all lost in one storm. However, for his faithfulness, the Lord did uh, reward him with ten more children afterwards, after he was done being tested. Uh, Noah. Noah built the ark. 
Noah was chosen by God to build the ark. Building of the ark took many years. And I can only imagine, it, it says in scripture a lot of how he was mocked, how people told, thought he was a fool. I mean, he was building this ark and everyone just kind of laughed at him. I mean, I can only imagine, you know, his kids going to school, which I don't know if they had school back then like we do now, but if it was in today's age, you know, if I was building the ark and Kayla had to go to school and it was all over the news, I'm sure that would be tough. But no one let his sons and daughters-in-law, and they were right beside him the whole time. They could, have cho- they, they could have chosen to walk away, but they saw Noah's faith in the Lord and a great example of who he is and what he was doing. He led by example. So Noah, Noah as a father, taught his, taught his children and daughters-in-law, because he only had sons, on how to trust him, trust in the Lord and, and show trust in the Lord. And here's the one I was excited most about uh, is Joseph. Not many people talk about Joseph. Mary gets a lot of the spotlight on this one. But Joseph, earthly father of the Son of God. Think about that. We, we all know and we've talked about how difficult it is to be a parent but to be the father of the son of God. I, I couldn't imagine. Now, Joseph had all the right in the world back then. He gets engaged to Mary. He's going to start a family. And then he finds out Mary's pregnant. Bam, in the face. And it's not his. And she tells him it's God's. He had every right to divorce her. Back then, a divorce was breaking off an engagement. But he didn't. He stuck next to Mary. He was a man of God. He trusted God's plan. And he accepted the role. He could have treated Jesus different. I don't know why he would have, but um, in a sense, it was his stepkid. And it was Jesus. <laughs> I mean, how difficult would it, you know, sometimes it's already hard to tell your kids no. You know, telling Jesus no might be a little harder. I don't know. So, you know, Joseph, he obeyed God on this, and, and, and it was in the face of severe humiliation. You know, I'm sure the uh, people at the, in town were, you know, talking about him, gossip. Look at Joseph. He's marrying this woman. It's pregnant. It's, you know, man, they might have not known it wasn't his, but they weren't married yet, so that was against tradition.
but you know, I, when I read, I read more about Joseph. I, I can't even imagine him going, you know, as a kid, hanging out with his friends at the carpentry shop, making a wood table. They're going at it. He's going, yeah. When I grow up, I want to get married. And when we're engaged, I want my, my wife to get pregnant with the Son of God. It's my plan in life. Not something I think anyone would think or ask for. And I can tell you as a stepfather myself, it, you know, it's difficult. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine the pressure Joseph was going through. Stepfather is the son of God. The last father I want to talk about today is God the Father. So we went over various types of fathers, biblically, uh, my journey through fatherhood so far. Um, We all have opinions. We all have fathers. Uh, You know, none of us were just immaculate. We were created by two two individuals. Uh, So we all have an opinion of what a father is, whether that's good or that's bad. Or, you know, you have negativity of fathers or you have positive, you have negative, positive things. And if it's bad, you could unconsciously be thinking God is like your earthly father. How could I have a relationship with this father in heaven if I can't even have a relationship with my father here on earth? He's just going to leave me. He's just going to be mean to me. He's just going to put pressure on me. I can't ever do anything right in his eyes. My Heavenly Father's the same way. You may be thinking, I can't please God. God's going to get mad at me for anything I do. So you think God's unreasonable. We put all these mixed up hurts and emotions onto God. So it's no wonder why we have a hard time connecting to him. How we can't have a relationship with him. But we need to stop these. These misconceptions, these human ideas, these, well, they could be good things. They could be, but we need to stop the misconceptions on our Heavenly Father being anything but perfect. And we need to put these aside and understand who God is. In Psalm 68, 5, it says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in the holy dwelling. In Matthew 6, 9, it says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God is our Father in heaven. 
Isaiah 64, 8 says, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. God's our creator. Romans 15, 8 says, So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Ephesians 5.1 says, Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Once again, you are his dear children. He's your father. John 3.1 states, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. He is just and upright he is. Deuteronomy 32.4 Galatians 3.26-29 For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God promises to Abraham, God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So I ask everyone here today, do you know who your father is? Are you a child of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for everything here today. Father, I pray for anyone here today that doesn't know you as their father. I pray that they can get to have that relationship with you, Father, so that they can truly understand who their Father is. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is ready to have that relationship with you on Father's Day, in order to have a father-son relationship. I pray that they take that step. I pray that they can get over their misconceptions or misunderstandings of who you are. Thank you for all the fathers, and thank you for you, Father.
In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we pray you were blessed by today's message. You're invited to worship with us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. For directions and information about Soul Rio and our weekly events, please visit our website at soulrio.com. You may also contact us by phone at area code 505-792-8737 or email us at info at soulrio.com. At Soul Rio, we're a community of followers of Jesus Christ, committed to live by faith, to be known by love, and to be a voice of hope to our community. We invite you to go with us on this journey.